Hi, I'm Jamie Winkup. Hi, I'm Dick Johnson. Hi, I'm Garth Tander. You're listening to the V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. Jamie wins five. Um, this one meant a lot to me. Volvo launched their engine. You have the most powerful engine regulations in touring cars in the world. And Dale Wood wraps up the Dunlop series. Still actually felt a little bit of a bit of a load going into that last race. That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Taking the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, this is Will Davison from the Pepsi Max crew for Performance Racing, and you are listening to the V8 Insiders. Here is the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Jamie Winkup has taken out his fifth championship in six years. The Red Bull driver saying this year has been his most satisfying victory. Um, this one meant a lot to me, to be honest. This one meant more than any, any other championship, without doubt. I was, uh, and that's very unusual, because you say you normally don't like to yeah, put one above the other. Yeah, absolutely, but um, this year all the cars are the same. You know, it was a completely level playing field. Will and Alex Davison talked about the last lap pass to give Will Davison third place in the championship. Of all people, I had to pass my brother on the last lap to get into third position on the championship. So I'd been fighting very hard for 20 laps to get close enough to him. And uh, I did on the last lap, and it was, a, it was a pretty big move to get underneath him. He was blocking me. He had no idea of the circumstances. So certainly pretty uh, pretty exciting stuff. And No, it was just another car on the track. And... Uh, for most of that stint, I pulled away from him, so I was pretty comfortable, uh, but sort of lost the rear tyres a little bit. I think I might have been to shock, and the car was a little bit ugly the last few laps, so he caught right up to me, and, uh, you know, without having all the info in front of in front of you when you're in the car, I had no idea that the championship or his, his championship position was, um, you know, down to that one position. So I was just fighting like I normally would. And evidently he was on the radio hard saying, get him out of the way or, you know, whatever, asking if I could move, you know, move over for him or whatever. Um, normally when I get those sort of instructions on the radio, I pull the, pull the bloody plug on it. So, uh, but no one bothered telling me. But, it, you know, in retros, you know, in retrospect after the race, I'm glad that he got that position because it didn't affect my championship. And uh, it was able to jump him up to third place, which is... Uh, which is a great result. So at the time, I was fighting tooth and nail for my position. Yeah, well, you said def- you were blocking. Oh, only one corner. Only the, the only time he was close enough to pass was when he did. The rest of the stint, he was miles away. So, uh, And I blocked a bit, but there was still room for him to get down the inside, so I clearly didn't do a good job of blocking him. Um, but once he started coming down, there was no point banging doors with him. He was in there. It was a clean move. It was... Uh, but he was, yeah, it was win it or bin it, I think, from his side. So it was good. I'm glad that he got his championship position. Craig Lowndes finished second to his teammate and on Monday night picked up his fourth Barry Sheen medal. Shane Van Gisbergen bookended the season with wins in the first race at Clipsal and the final race in Sydney. Our car and team's been really good on street circuits and 
it seems to come a lot a lot better with us so um yeah, just stoked to, to finish off with two podiums and I think we ended up fifth in the championship so that's uh, my equal best. Nick Perkett said that the Sydney weekend will provide him with a great advantage going into his first full-time season next year. Oh these are money can't buy miles this is uh, pure gold for me um, you know I get uh, you know have many sets of tyres we get this weekend I get two qualifying sessions two extremely long races in the toughest conditions that we really go to besides Adelaide so um, this is absolute gold so uh can't wait to get stuck into another few sets of new tyres tomorrow and keep learning about them and, uh, yeah, see, uh, see what happens uh, tomorrow night. Being an Adelaide boy. Tim Sindrick was at the event as a guest of FPR. Sindrick, the president of Penske Racing, said he was keen to come back to Australia when he had the chance. It's great to get the opportunity to come out here. Obviously, I've been to the Gold Coast many times, but never had a chance to come to Sydney. While officially he was overlooking aspects of Penske's companies and the Western Star takeover in Australia... The teams linked with Ford in NASCAR and the worldwide launch of the Mustang also focused in on high-level talks with the American billionaire and potentially the FPR team. And perhaps if FPR can't be sold, then Dick Johnson Racing might also come under the interest of the very well-credentialed team. Volvo Engines was unveiled last week with Polestar and Volvo Motorsport reps on hand for the launch. Martin Person said they're happy with the dyno results of the brand new V8 engine and they've not looked at any of the performance figures of the current GRM engines. No, uh, I mean we, we have uh, benchmark figures and then uh, uh, to be honest, I don't know if we have compared with uh, any uh, Gary Dino results that I don't know of, to, to be honest, but uh, I don't think so. I don't think he has a Dino, so... <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually down here uh, meeting the team, learning more about uh, Gary and uh, the team, and there's a lot to learn about Gary, as you know, so... <laughs> We're doing our best for the moment. Alexander Marcheski said the thing he likes about the engine is very much an intangible. But there's one thing, and this is more from my personal, that has no, not a non-performance factor, but there's always this uh, focus from us involved in the program on the sound signature of the engine. And we had a very iconic sound in the five-cylinder race engine we had in the Super 2000 regulation. But I think this tops everything we have done before. Absolutely fantastic sound, this engine. Roland Dane said that even though the workload for 2014 is not as high as the past few years, he's not sure how much of a break the team will be able to take over the Christmas period. Uh, look, the, the season dictates um, and the schedule dictates what we have and haven't got. So, uh, you know, this race is a, is a week later than we'd, than we'd really like, uh, frankly, and in the ideal world we'd finish in November. Um, so it makes it hard to do everything you, that you need to do to, to close off the season and from a sponsorship point of view and, uh, and a car preparation point of view. But it is what it is, and it, you know, we've got to be running again in the middle of February. So there's a limit to what we can do, but, we, but it certainly isn't as hard work as last year. Last year was incredibly hard work for every single person in the paddock. And, um, and yeah, some of the people, and you think of uh, teams like... Um, DJR did an absolutely incredible job of getting on the on the grid at all this year, uh, let alone to the test day at uh, Sydney Motorsport Park. So next year will be will be easier for everyone. But um, but by the same token, we won't lose 
size of the, of the focus that we need to, to try and uh, win again next year. Dane expects that his company, Triple Eight, will be supporting three cars next year two in-house and one customer. I'm not sure what the program will be next year, but uh, for sure we will support Techno uh, with Shane, um, uh, which I think is their program for next year. And if it is, then we'll support that 100%. I'm a big believer in Shane. Um, I think he's, uh, he's a great driver and the Techno guys I personally get on with um, very well. So we're very happy to, uh, to lend them uh, support um, in, in the same way that we have this year where they've completely validated um, our program as have DJR sorry, Brad, BJR D's and B's muddled up um, Brad Jones Racing who have, uh, yeah, they're using effectively triple uh, eight componentry at the front of their cars and um, that's validated by the, by the podium just now Dale Wood has wrapped up his first Dunlop Series Championship. I congratulated him after the victory. Yeah, it's uh, it is it's fun. It's nice actually. Um, I still actually felt a little bit of a uh, bit of a load going into that last race. I knew um, probably when Walshy didn't start the race, it was a real shame for him. But I suppose that sort of clarified that there was uh, absolutely no issues about uh, maintaining that championship now. So it's all mine, and I can go away with my head high and uh, know that I've done the very best I could have done this year. VRX magazine is now on sale with the new Erebus plan, the state-of-the-art Nissan workshop, James Warburton sharing his view from the top, and a fantastic Bathurst winner's poster. The iPad edition is on sale now at MagShop, and for Andrew, and for Android viewers, and for Android users, you'll find it at Magster. Hard copies are in store now. On this week's White Flag Lap, we hear from Jamie Wincup and Will Davison about their living arrangements. But up next after the break, Mark Fogarty and Lewis Isaacs will join me. I hope you'll stay with us. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Craig Lance. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week, it is the newest Hall of Fame member. It's Mark Fogarty from the Fairfax Media and, of course, editor-at-large of Auto Action. Great to have you back on the show, folks. Yes, thank you for that. Yes. Hello, Craig. Hello, everyone. Lewis. who else have we got on? Lewis Isaacs, who actually tied with yourself, folks, for the best news report from the V8 Media Awards on Friday night. Lewis, congratulations. Thanks, Craig. It was an interesting year in V8 Supercars, and uh, I guess why don't we uh, first talk about Jamie Wincup's fifth championship, because, folks, it, it puts him in rarefied air in Australian motorsport to win five championships at the top level. It was a very interesting year in V8 Supercars. Indeed, the most competitive ever 
different winners from out of the regular drivers, not counting their co-drivers. And um, certainly in the early in the season when people were adjusting to car of the future or as we now refer to them, new generation cars, uh, there was a lot of instability and unpredictability. So to fight his way through with often not the best car, um, Jamie Wincup certainly, um, well, if there were any ever, de ever any debate about whether he was already one of the all-time greats, that's certainly been dispensed with by him winning a record equaling fifth. And yes, it does put him in very rarefied company. And the scary thing is that at just 30 and at the peak of his powers, you would imagine he's going to go on and uh, win more titles and you know set, set a new record on his own. Mm. And Lewis, I guess the, the big thing here is for the casual observer, it's Wing Cup wins again. But throughout the year, it was never a sure thing. Really up until Phillip Island, it was an open book. The transformation of Jamie Wincup over the last six years, folks, that's been an impressive thing in itself, the way that he, he's come from quite a nervous and, and standoffish type person to now being a much more comfortable person, particularly in and around the media. And uh, unfortunately, it hasn't transferred over to Fanland yet, but he is becoming a, a real, uh, you know, he is becoming a, a real personality. It just, we need to... It gets swamped, I guess, or dwarfed by his teammate. He's comfortable in his own skin now, very much so. He was a lot more relaxed, notably more relaxed, I think, this year. He still tries a bit too hard to come across as, as humble. He's got it in his brain that people um, see him as, or you know, see his, have seen him as arrogant, and, and the fans do, unfortunately. But. Um, my view is he still tries to overcompensate too hard and uh, he just needs to be himself because he's actually a really interesting guy. He is, uh, yeah, when you're speaking to him, you, he, he's not a person who's looking around the room trying to find the next person to speak to. He's speaking to you and he does that with everyone, I've noticed. Indeed. He's um, one of the few, well, top sportsmen really that, um, you know, is capable of expressing himself and particularly with, you know, he's, he's not afraid of self-analysis and um, he'll explore questions that you throw at him in some depth and um, that's unusual and, and it's to be praised. So, uh, mm. you know, if you sit down with him, as you know, to do something in depth, you'll get in depth. Um, he's still not, you know, comfortable being controversial or, um, you know, highly opinionated, but definitely got something to say and uh, I think you know the fans will eventually warm to him <laughs> it may be after he's long gone you know certainly um, when it comes down to being remembered in history I think views will change um, but you know when it's a, it's a tough comparison I mean he's up against people like Craig Lowndes you know his teammate them the ever smiling you know Craig Lowndes who is by far by far the most 
popular driver, so, um, you know, he, he, he is up against a tough act. And you go and win your fifth championship, Lewis, and you can't even get the Barry Sheen medal at the end of it. Yeah, you, you wonder what else he's got to do. On track, he's, he's ticking all the boxes. We saw at Winton when his car broke down how desperately he loves being out there. He was, he was quite upset that he couldn't race and, and made a big mention of that. And, and yet he's still not popular. And I think, as, as both touched on, he's beating Craig week in, week out. And, and Craig's a good guy, and I guess that by default that makes Jamie the bad guy. Mm. And interesting. The criteria for that Barry Sheen medal are all wrong anyway. You know, it's supposed to be the best and fairest, but it's you know it, it's just being not judged properly, and you know it doesn't even have the right name. You know, really, it's V8 Supercars. You know, best and fairest. Um, you know, it's not supposed. To, it, it is. It, well, it's clearly influenced by personality, and that's not best and fairest. Um, and it really should be, you know, if it's going to be called anything on that basis, it should be, the criteria should be restructured to reflect that, and it should be called, you know, well, the obvious one would be the Peter Brock medal. Um, but CAMS has appropriated that for, a, you know, for their own purposes and good luck to them, but I think um, they need to sit down with V8 Supercars and, and work out, because I'm sorry, I've never believed that naming the best and fairest medal in V8 Supercars after Barry Sheen, who was a... British motorcycle racing icon is, is, is just, um, it's not right and it's not appropriate. Mm. Well, uh, I guess there is a, a few awards throughout the, uh, the supercar world that don't make sense to many, but it it's interesting, Lewis, that uh, we have seen this year more winners than ever before and uh, we've seen a gap completely closed because it's all brand new material uh, brand new equipment that they're using how do v8 supercars now stop the haves getting away from the have-nots well i don't know if you can i, I remember speaking to jamie last year and he said at the start of the year we'll have 60 percent of the car understood and by the end of the year we might be at 90 i'd say triple eight and, and co are probably that far advanced now that it's, it's it's going to be uh, difficult for anyone to, to catch up. I know parity is the, the big issue that everyone's spoken about all year. I don't know if that's the solution immediately to solving this, but um, yeah, closing the gap, I don't know if you can. HIT tried it, but they brought in Adrian Burgess for, for next year, but one man's not going to make that much of a difference immediately. Mm. And, and of course, uh, whilst the gap's closed, folks, it is an opportunity then for the have-nots to capitalise on it and get a return for money. But maybe the gap's not going to go as wide because by some counts, there could only be 23 car, uh, sorry, 25 cars on the grid. And I know Vert Supercars are hoping that it doesn't drop below 26. Well, it's very likely. Well, it's almost certain that there won't be the full complement of 28 cars. And yes, it could be as low as 24. Somewhere in the middle is most likely. And... Uh, I mean, it's it's pretty significant. I think that in the end, this year it came down to the, you know the usual suspects. Anyway, the championship was fought out by the two Triple Eight Red Bull Racing Australia drivers and the two Ford Performance Racing Pepsi Max Max crew drivers. So, you know, in the end result, nothing changed. I mean, once they got into their stride and got their heads around the new cars, um, you know, the two top teams um, took control. Um, it was nice while it lasted, you know, little teams like Brad Jones Racing and 
Techno Auto Sports uh, and Gary Rogers Motorsport, you know, stuck their nose in there and, um, you know, won races while they could. But whether that's going to continue and be a regular thing next year, um, I doubt it. Fingers crossed, though. Lewis, is a reduction in the number of cars on the grid going to be detrimental to the the fans or is it not even going to be noticeable? sure they care. Well, yeah, well, they don't care enough to go again, do they? Mm. I mean, they can't. I'm being a bit flippant. But no, but I, essentially, we know who we're talking about. And, you know, there are a couple of teams and a couple of drivers who, I'm afraid to say, won't, won't really be missed. Um, the quality of the field is strong enough that if it, even if it were only 24, it's not going to make a blind bit of difference to the racing. But I agree with Lewis that where it will look a bit odd is Bathurst, and that's where we have supercars and the top teams have got to uh, take a close look at that and uh, take a close look at, you know, maybe introducing some rule where if you're at a certain level in the championship, um, you, ha- you have to run extra cars there. Mm. It's going to be an interesting one, which we'll certainly watch as it develops into uh, into 2014. Well, there's just not enough money around at the moment. No, that's All exactly teams right. Are struggling, so it's you know I'm, I'm amazed it's taken this long, you know, for a couple of the bottom teams um, or the struggling teams to you know to fall by the wayside, and you know they're not alone. There are you know teams much much further up the grid who really are struggling for money. So you know the sports got has to address that, and it, and it is under the new relatively new CEO James Warburton. You know. Got to get more money flowing back into the sport. You know, a better TV, a better TV deal for 2015 onwards is the basic requirement, and then bring more sponsorship in so that um, the, te- uh, the, the so the V8 supercars can again start paying. You know, um, an end of year um, distribution. Yeah, and teams, which they're well, they're at the moment they're budgeting not to get anything like they didn't get anything this year at the end of the season. Although um, if a couple of you know, a couple of teams drop off, you know, they might get something just because there's, you know, a, a bigger share for everyone. That's right. And uh, and let's not forget, Tony Cochran often said to uh, whoever raised it with him, V8 Supercars is the biggest sponsor of the V8 Supercar teams. And unfortunately, a lot of the teams were using that business model as their modus operandi. Um, of course, it's safe to say that Triple Eight went out there and made sure that their supercars uh, and their rec payment wasn't their uh, major source of income, and that's why they've been reaping the rewards uh, so often financially on and off the track. Yeah, but the T's have only got themselves to blame. You know, they they voted for the Archer Capital takeover, and once they reduced their shareholding by more than half, um, mm. 
money so that, you know, the glory days when they were getting, you know, each uh, racing entitlements um, contract holder was getting, you know, seven fifty, eight hundred thousand dollars bonus at the end of the year, you know, that was always going to, you know, shrink back even with subsidies for a while to, you know, well under half of that, well, it ended up being absolutely nothing. Well, I don't even think they got subsidies, did they? Well, they were supposed to. As part of the, the, you know, the, the, uh, to take over, the, they were supposed to get a bit extra, you know, in compensation for a couple of years just to sort of top it up um, in terms of their end-of-year distribution or their share of the profits, profits in other words, just as they were supposed to be getting, you know, an extra contribution as well to... Um, Help pay for the switch over to car of the future, um, but uh, you know, that all disappeared with the shrinking revenues of the sport. I mean, yeah, supercars, you know, they're not broke, they still make money, they're just not making enough to be paying out you know, dividends to the teams, as it were, and, and, and other things like that. And also, don't forget that you mentioned Tony Cochran back in his, his time, there was actually a mandate, if you like, to reduce the field anyway. That, that their long-term plan had always, under uh, Coco, had been to reduce the field f- further from 28 down to, you know, maybe around 26. Mm. Um, you know, basically to just in- increase each team or each uh, you know, license holder's share of the pie. So it- it's kind of, you know, that aim is being fulfilled, but um, maybe just for the, the wrong reason. And Lewis, just ahead of the break, the, the critical thing in that is it comes down to where the contract number is set, and that's critical. If V8 supercars have a contract that says they have to have 28, 27, 26, 25 cars on the grid, they are going to ensure that they've got that number of cars because then other penalties will apply. Yeah, but you have to wonder what's in it for those guys that will be making up the numbers. We had a chat to uh, Tony D'Alberto at the end of Sydney, and he said he could run his team on, you know, on a... a a much tighter budget, but he'd be running around the back and he's not going to attract any sponsors doing that and that can be the same for anyone. So V8 supercars can, can try all they like to get these guys across the board, but, but what's in it for them if they're just going to be plodding around the back? Mm, exactly. Guys, need to take a break here on the V8 Insiders. Plenty more when we return. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Hi, I'm Alex on Prema from the Fujitsu GRM team, and you are listening to the V8 Insider. Welcome back to the Vet Insiders. Joining us on the line is the uh, winner, the joint winners, in fact, of the best news story of 2013 from the V8 Supercar Media Awards. Mark Fogarty, V8 Supercar Hall of Fame member for the V8 Supercar Media Association. I should clear that up because there's a couple of them, isn't there, um, folks? And also Lewis Isaacs. And guys, uh, interestingly, both your stories came before the pre-season test which you won the award for, Lewis, with uh, the story about Shane Van Gisbergen coming back into the sport, and Fogues for Dick Johnson Racing having trouble getting two cars to the grid. We end the season with Shane Van Gisbergen winning the first and last race of the year, and Dick Johnson now with two licences secured, and uh, he's probably in his best financial position for a couple of years, folks. 
turn of events that you wouldn't have predicted um, before the start of the season Dick Johnson Racing was going through, yet yet another financial crisis, and it was so dire that the team almost didn't make it to the first, almost didn't make it to the pre-season test, um, and it only got there with one car, and it was very close to not making the first event, the Clipsal 500, um, but it was um, saved at the 11th hour when it was on the brink. And uh, yes, with Shane Van Gisberg, and he suddenly, having you know, announced that he's retiring or stepping away from V8 Supercars at the Sydney 500 last year, suddenly bounced back. And uh, but <laughs> caused a lot of trouble since. And there is, there has been, and there is ongoing legal action that um, has taken some twists and turns. And uh, basically, Erebus Motorsport, which took over SBR. Um, is still fighting a legal action against Shane Van Gisberg, and I think they've given up on trying to stop him from racing, which is something they tried on a few occasions throughout. It didn't before. work very well this year, did it? Mm? It didn't work this very well this year, did it? Not yet, but um, it goes back to court next week, I think. Um, I mean, all the parties involved are very reluctant. Well, they refuse to talk about it in detail, but the court documents I've seen is that it's going back to the federal court in Sydney next week, um, late next week, and I, I believe that it's Erebus Motorsport and or SP, Stone Brothers Racing are now, you know, making a damages claim as because um, before the Bathurst 1000, their attempt to sideline Shane Van Gisbergen um, was thrown out of the, by the federal court. So, yes, it got messy, but <laughs> ironically, he won a race at the. Uh, Clipsal 500 started off like gangbusters and then um, it went to type and it was all over the place for the rest of the season but he finished up with a win in Sydney so book end of the season with two very strong wins when he's, when he's on it I mean he's just fantastic he's an exciting driver he's fast he's incredibly talented but he's also wildly inconsistent I, you know I'm sorry I, I wouldn't be putting you know 20 cents on him over the course of a full season, much much less making a substantial bit on him. Yeah, but Lewis, that's what you need. You need some excitement machines out there to uh, continue the casual observer's interest. Yeah, and that's what that's what Shane is. He's that loose kind of guy. We see him drifting around. His narrative this year is quite interesting. Obviously, he um he, he did make an error about how he went about his business, but his results at Clipsal did kind of shut a lot of people up and at Sydney he was just excellent. He uh he was just on the on the Saturday on the, when he scored the podium he was um fairly circumspect but on the uh on the Sunday it was all him and he was just unreal. Mm. And folks you we keep wanting a driver to wear the black hat but when he wins the first race of the season then says he's not going to speak to the media because he's already spoken to the media and uh, everyone else who didn't uh, work for the media that he'd spoken to, well, they weren't real pleased with him at that point. Mm. Uh, no, he has a lot of work to do on how he presents himself, and um, his image took a beating because, uh, you know, a lot of people, well, everyone in the paddock, you know, went to a great deal of trouble to farewell him and wish him well um, because, you know, there was a story being put around that he was having some personal problems. Um, well, clearly there weren't any personal problems at all. He just wanted to get the hell out of what was then Stone Brothers Racing and avoid, you know, having to deal with the, the, the new regime under Betty Klemenko. Um, so all these stories were spun around, you know, why he was.
lawyers leaving and how you know and in an, it enabled him to get out of his contract and but it was all just a ruse you know he'd already pretty much had a deal lined up to switch with some um, Holden's assistance over to Techno Autosport so um, yeah it was his fault that he's you know he's had a poor image out of this mm. one man who was at Sydney was Tim Sindrick the president of Penske Racing and uh, you often wonder when a high-profile person turns up at an event like that is the speculation a wish and a hope Lewis that Penske Racing might be involved in a, a financially struggling V8 supercar series and when I say that I mean team land not series land or is there really a uh, a move by the uh, multi-billionaire to uh, get involved in Australian motorsport well I think I'm going to uh, defer to Fogues on this one because he seems to have the, uh, the insight on, on what Tim Sindrick was doing in Sydney he wasn't having a holiday I can assure you of that <laughs> it was not a casual visit and it's not a coincidence that coincidence that it coincided with a visit also to the Sydney 500 by Jamie Allison, who's the, the boss of Ford Racing, well, boss of Ford Motorsports, global motorsport programs, really, such as they are, um, and who should also turn up unscheduled, um, as it turns out, um, even though he was in Sydney on the Thursday night for the new Ford Mustang reveal, but he was never, not originally supposed to be coming to the Sydney 500, but... Um, he certainly did, and I'm talking about the president of Ford Australia, Bob Graziano. And uh, also, it's significant that that was Graziano, Allison, and Sindrick. Um, I saw them myself, you know, in huddled conversation for a very, very long time over breakfast. Well, there wasn't much breakfast going on at the hotel. They were staying over the road from the track. Yeah, this, this is this is serious. Penske Racing is looking seriously at not just getting involved as a sponsor through its recent acquisition of the Australian importation and distribution of Western Star trucks and some other truck and bus brand names. They're looking at, at buying a team. Their main target is Ford Performance Racing. If that doesn't work out, they've had uh, talks already to buy Dick Johnson Racing, and um, this is all serious, and it's all wrapped in with Penske Racing's tie-up with Ford in, Na in the NASCAR Sprint Cup in the United States, and Ford in Dearborn getting involved, you know, if, basically if Roger Penske gets involved in V8 supercars, Ford headquarters will tip in some extra money to, you know, support Ford Australia's backing of, of, of the factory team. So, you know, it's big stakes. It's not wishful thinking. Uh, moves are definitely afford. Mm. And the other critical thing about the Penske organisation, Lewis, is they not only own you know, many different racing formats and teams, they own racetracks. And if we have a situation which certainly got some traction over the weekend with uh, Holden, Holden's future and manufacturing future in Australia being in jeopardy, if we were to have a Mustang, a Camaro, then had an S60 and a C-Class Mercedes and along with an Ultima, then you have got five race cars all sold in the United States market and the second race, which Austin wants to make it viable to have the V8 supercars back, also becomes very attractive as well. Yeah, well, I actually spoke to Tim about the potential of V8 heading for the Detroit Grand Prix and he said it's the perfect situation to pair up... Uh 
IndyCars and V8s. Obviously, there's a bit of history between the two. Uh, IndyCars coming to Service Paradise here, and a number of the current field racing in V8s. Uh, the scheduling makes perfect sense. Obviously, we're not going back there next year to Austin, but uh, the late May slash June time of uh, the Belle Island Grand Prix, and uh, when we race in Austin this year, it's the perfect way to get two things done at the same time. Mm. And that's critical for any overseas races, having it doubled up, folks. Yeah, it's it's the idea of racing on the support car for the Detroit Grand Prix, it, I think, has legs. Um, I'm yet to be convinced we'll ever go back to the circuit of the Americas, but um, you know, Penske, if he gets involved, is, is a powerful figure, and you know, if he's interested in something, he's so respected that it will get attention. Um, so... The Detroit Grand Prix is a, is a, a logical one to look at. Um, Roger Penske doesn't own the Detroit Grand Prix, but he's the driving force behind it, and Penske Corporation does put in a lot of money, but it's in partnership with the city of Detroit um, and others like General Motors is a big sponsor of it. Um, and in fact, Penske doesn't actually own racetracks anymore. Um, he used to have a stake in... California Speedway in Fontana, but uh, and here originally, but he's, he's out of that, and he used to have a stake in Michigan, Michigan International Speedway, but he no longer has a stake in that either. He's pretty much got out of that. I thought he had Road America still. No. No. Okay. No. no. To my knowledge, he's not involved in racetracks anymore. It's just you know, Penske Racing, which has all been centralised down at um, Mooresville in uh, North North Carolina near Charlotte, the heart of NASCAR country that's where the IndyCar team and also the NASCAR team runs out of so it's a big operation which at times has encompassed also you know sports car racing programs but um, so Roger Penske is he's, he's, you know he heads a multi-billion dollar corporation that's huge in the United in North America in you know automotive retailing you know hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of dealers and also you know, truck leasing through what was once the Hertz truck leasing brand is Penske now. Um, he's a big player in the automotive industry over there. But he, Penske himself, he's 76 years old, but he's vitally involved in the racing. I mean, he's at every IndyCar race. He often, in fact, is you know, calling the strategy for, for one of his drivers. Um, when Ryan Briscoe was there, Roger was calling Ryan's strategy. And Penske also turns up to um, as many of the NASCAR uh, Sprint Cup events um, to watch um, uh, that te- you know, his team there, which you know finally won the cup last year with uh, Keselowski, and um, after you know many years of not much success in NASCAR, they finally broke through. They had a couple of Daytona 500s, but finally getting the Sprint Cup last year was a big breakthrough. And uh, forgetting his motoring. Uh, and uh, motor industry connections. He sits on, I think, still as the chairman of General Electric, and General Electric's one of the biggest companies in the world. So oh, he's on many boards, yeah. and he was you know, he, he was instrumental in um, getting the Super Bowl, you know, the end of year, end of season championship for um, NFL. He was instrumental in getting that to Detroit um, a few years ago. Um, he, he's a big player and. He's not originally from Michigan or the Detroit area, but he, he and his businesses have been based in suburban Detroit, suburban Detroit, Bloomfield Hills for a long time. So he takes a, a very keen interest on 
efforts to uh, ongoing efforts to revive the city of Detroit. Mm, yeah, of course, uh, Reading, Pennsylvania is where the uh, yep. IndyCar shops were all based uh, when he first uh, got up and running there, which now dates back to about 19, I think it's 79, when he won his first, uh, no, 72, when he won his first Indianapolis 500 with Mark Donahue. Yeah, but he's, he, you know, and then by extension his team has been racing essentially since the middle 60s. Mm, yeah, in sports cars it started, and he was actually driving back then. Yeah. Anyway, he would be a tremendously... And it's a name that opens doors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Opens doors at business tables, you know, worldwide. And and this is what the sport needs, isn't it? It needs those, um, what they call in America, the Mar and Pa corporations to uh, start opening their doors and wallets. The only downside is it's another, you know, another, well, (laughs) it might go the full cycle if he ends up buying FPR which originally was owned by ProDrive, which was UK-based, um, it would be another foreign you know, ownership of a top team. But, but how good would uh, Rod Nash and Rusty French look by the team that uh, the uh, internationals wanted to get out of to sell it to an even bigger international? That's almost, uh, that's almost uh, Channel 9 and, and uh, Kerry Packer-esque. Yeah, Packer buying, buying back at a cheap rate his network from Alan Bond. Hmm. Yeah, well, it would be well timed because, the, you know, the I think FPR is looking down the barrel of a tough year again financially in terms of, you know, um, enough sponsorship to, to meet their budget. So um, if it's a good, if they are offered a, a good deal, I'm pretty sure that Rod Nash and Rusty French will be happy to take it. Well, gentlemen, a pleasure to catch up with you as always. I hope you have a great Christmas and a, a very relaxing New Year. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate that. Thanks, yes, folks. mate. Yes, Lewis and, and Craig both uh, have a great Christmas and New Year and uh, I'm sure we'll all be back to do it once more next year. And, of course, um, season's greetings to all the listeners. Hopefully they'll all be back next year. Very important. They are going to keep joining us. We'll go right through the uh, Christmas break as well on the V8 Insiders. White Flag Lap is up. (laughs) Well, yes, the show is definitely. (laughs) The White Flag is up next here on the V8 Insiders. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Stay tuned for more. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Jonathan Webb from Techno Autosports, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lab, brought to you by Munro Shock Absorbers, I spoke to Jamie Wincup and to Will Davison. Of course, once they were housemates, and with the rumours stacking up that Will Davison's about to join Erebus Motorsport, could he be looking for a place on the coast? And would his old buddy give him a room? Yeah, possibly, possibly. <laughs> yeah, that'd be funny. No, I think we're a few years past uh, 
you know, permanently living together. But definitely still, uh, we still do it now. We still do the odd, uh, the odd weekend and go and have a good weekend, you know, and stay at his place. There's always a bed there for me and vice versa when he's in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, hopefully Willard's back on the coast and um, having a good time. That's fingers crossed, yeah. But I'm not sure what his deal is. He, has, he doesn't talk to me about that. But uh, as long as he's happy, that's the main thing. You know, I'm sure we'll we'll be hanging out like we always have, but um, obviously I'll come back hopefully bigger and better and with my new venture to try and knock him off. I mean, five-time champion, uh, massive congratulations, very proud of him, but um, certainly someone's got to step up, so I'm going to be working hard to make sure I can do that. I'm going on holidays with Will next week, and I was... Uh, he's a good mate. We, we spent some time living together, and uh, I was obviously came for him to come third, and he'll be, he'll be absolutely wrapped. That's all we have time for this week on the V8 Insiders. My thanks to Fogues, also to Lewis Isaacs, and of course to Will Davidson and Jamie Wincup there. As the checker flag waves over another edition, till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.